Welcome, dear listener, and thank you for joining me for this special Halloween edition of Dead Hand Radio. I'm your host, Andrew Hall. What we're about to embark on throughout these coming days leading up to Halloween is a series of interviews with people from all walks of life who've experienced some of the most harrowing, spine-chilling tales you've ever heard. We're talking ghost stories, haunted buildings, cursed lands, myths, legends, and lore, the likes of which many have never heard before. Some of my guests are new, most are returning visitors of the show, and have agreed to share with us, in some cases for the first time ever, their personal experiences of unexplained and hair-raising stories from beyond the veil. Consider this your final warning. Those who choose to proceed may have their sanity challenged, question reality, or lose their mind with fear from these tales of the unknown and unexplained. And now, the Dead Hand Radio Halloween Special. This is Paul Papa, author and historian, and you're listening to Dead Hand Radio. Hey, Paul. Welcome to Dead Hand Radio, and thanks for joining me for this Halloween special edition. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm, I really appreciate you doing this, and I I'm, I'm, can't wait to hear some of the stories that you have to share with us or with me. But uh, before I do that, can we talk a little bit about your history, your background, and how you uh, got started in writing and all that stuff? Sure. Um, I have a excuse me, a rather strange story from most people in the fact that uh, I was actually uh, a security officer for uh, for the Sands Hotel and Casino when I moved to Las Vegas in 89. Um, I started at the Sands and um, stayed there through uh, quite a bit of my career till, till we ended up shutting the place in 96. In fact, I was uh, I was the person who went around and locked the doors of the Sands for the final time. I was a... Uh, I was a supervisor then, and um, but in that time, I had um, kind of learned how to write security reports and um, got pretty good at it, so much so that um, they would have me write the reports when they came in. That, that's pretty common now because security officers have a, a whole section of officers who just write reports, but at the time, whoever got the incident wrote the report. But because I seemed to be quite good at it and um, quick, they started using me more and more. And then um, when the sands closed, um, I eventually landed at uh, New York, New York Hotel and Casino when we opened the place. And um, I was the hotel investigator for several years. And so I started writing more and more reports. And um, in the course of working there as a hotel investigator, I also, um, I would say I was never in the military, so I never learned not to volunteer for things. <laughs> so I volunteered to create a training program and ended up writing training manuals. 
And um, from that, um, I secured a job with, uh, with the United Brotherhood of Carpenters where I wrote training manuals for them. In fact, I've written more than training manual, more than 80 training manuals in areas as diverse as, uh, as driving pile to building scaffolding. Um, things that I don't know anything about, but <laughs> we have uh, we meet with subject matter experts who who tell us what should be written, and then uh, I get the information from them and put it together. And of course, they look it over and make sure that it's right before it goes out to the general membership. Um, through all of that, and through writing reports and writing training manuals, I kind of thought, you know, I bet I could write a book, <laughs> and so I did. Um, and as as many authors, I started out. Um, with three or four different attempts that failed before I ended up uh, writing my first book, which was published in uh, 2009. And it was called, It Happened in Las Vegas. Very cool. So you're, um, what was your first book about? Was it fiction? Uh, no, most of my first books were nonfiction and they were what's called series books. Um, a friend of mine worked with a publisher and he recommended me to that publisher. The publisher at the time was looking to, to extend their series into Las Vegas. So the series was called It Happened In. And they had It Happened in Denver and It Happened in San Francisco. Um, they even had a It Happened in Nevada, but they didn't have a hap It Happened in Las Vegas. And, and what it was, it was 25 true stories about um, events that happened in Las Vegas. So I wrote about the, the flood that happened um, that wiped out half the city. I, I wrote about the MGM fire um, and, and different things that happened in Las Vegas. So there are basically 25, I guess you could call them short stories because they were about um, uh, 2,500 words, which is not a lot. A typical novel is about 70 or 80,000 words. So 2,500 words is, you know, three or four pages. And I'm just told of an event that, that happened in Las Vegas. How far back did you go? Did you get into like early history of Las Vegas and stuff like that? Yeah, they wanted you to span kind of the whole area from as much as you could. Um, Las Vegas, um, at the time I wrote that, was a little over 100 years old. Um, the town started in 2005. And so that was the first thing I wrote about was the auction that started the town. And, and then I wrote up until um, the dunes exploding and... and uh, I think that was the last story that I wrote was the dunes exploding. So the town started in 1905, right? 1905. What did I say? 2005. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but 1905, that's a little bit closer. <laughs> it is, uh, it, it is surprising to find out that this town as, as robust as it is, has only been a, a town or a city uh, since 1905 so you know like 115 years now yeah it, it's um and it's amazing what has happened to this town in those 115 years it has more history than towns that are that are sometimes three times its size but yeah it, it was uh it was kind of fascinating you know you think of the old west which nevada is part of the old west um and las vegas has had roots way back into the 1800s when the mormons came here and established a fort to try to get the, um, to, to, cause they were gonna do a, a, um, a mail route and they needed a place to stop between Salt Lake and Los Angeles. And they found this valley and, and Las Vegas means valley. It's a Spanish word that means valley. And at the time you wouldn't 
you wouldn't notice it now, but at the time it had lush green pastures and um, they decided that this was the place to, uh, to build their fort. And um, they were all excited because they had, um, they had mined a nearby mountain and they found um, lead and they tried to smelt this lead and it wouldn't hold. And they, they ended up getting frustrated and the whole thing didn't work out for them and they ended up abandoning the fort. And uh, many years later, um, some people went to that same mountain to mine that same lead, only it wasn't lead. They hadn't discovered lead, they had discovered silver and they didn't know it. Wow. So they left <laughs> millions of dollars of silver deposits in that mountain. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, and there, there was uh, several different phases of mining that took place throughout this valley. Uh, I, I know of a mine that's right out here in Henderson, close to where I live. And uh -huh. it was called the Three Kids Mine. Yeah. And I believe they they mined magnetite out of that out of that mine. Yeah, that's what um, they used to build the uh, to to build um, the bombs and stuff during the war. Yes. That's how, and the rocket fuel. That's how um, time it got got so big until it until it had the explosion too right which also was one of the things i wrote about in the book too oh cool okay cool yeah. so that book was it happened in las vegas it happened in las vegas yeah right on and that was the first one that was that around 2009 or so 2009 was when we published it yeah okay good deal um so, so the the way that i came in contact with you was uh there's a little bookstore in boulder city and i can't remember the name of it it's a uh they have an alien out front oh, yeah. yeah the flying saucer it's called is that what it is okay yeah it's actually called the flying saucer i yeah. went in there for they there was some kind of a a, a citywide well which boulder city is tiny but it was a yeah. You know, the whole city was involved in this. Um, they, they, everybody was out on the street and we, okay. my wife and I are walking through the, through all the stores. We walked into that little um, flying saucer store yeah. and I found your book haunted Las Vegas. Oh, okay. And I was like, wow, that sounds pretty interesting. Let me check that out. This was years ago. Yeah. And uh, I, I've picked it up and put it down several times, read through it. And uh, to be honest with you, I've never been a real big believer of ghost stories. Just mm -hmm. just had an, a passing interest in it. Um, and I've shared on a couple of other episodes how I went from a non-believer to a believer. I'm going to spare my listeners that, but I'll tell you off the record. Back on the record, when, when I started reading your book, um, this was after I had read the hump for the skinwalker um, uh -huh. and reading your book, I'm like, man, this stuff sounds totally legit. You know, the, there's a story in there about Wayne Newton. If yeah. I, if I had read that prior to reading the hump for skinwalker, I would not have believed it. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, skeptical I, that, I was. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. But then, you know, luckily I had read, uh, you know, and I had changed my mind about um, these things. And reading your book was just fascinating to find out how many uh, places in Las Vegas are haunted. 
Well, I was surprised when I started writing the book to find out that uh, Las Vegas is considered a hotbed of paranormal activity, more so than uh, than many other places. But honestly, you know, it shouldn't surprise us. We've we've had a huge mob influence in here, and um, there's all sorts of uh, stories about uh, holes being dug in the desert. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, um, and I'm sure a lot of that happened. I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, a lot of killings and, and different things that happened in the history of Las Vegas. And it's also a town um, that has shown that it can attract people and it attracts you know, 40 million people a year. And so a lot of the people who have come here, uh, even after they've died, have not wanted to leave. That's right. Uh, uh, there was a story in your book that uh, talks about that. Or maybe there was multiple stories in the book, but there, there's several of them yeah. that talk about people who didn't live here that uh, made their home somewhere else that that still haunt this place and don't even haunt their regular homes. Right. Uh, yeah. So now a couple stories that I remember uh, besides the the one about Wayne Newton. I mean, not Wayne Newton. The heck, Liberace. Liberace. Liberace is the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Oh, well, Wayne Newton is mentioned in there, too. Um, oh, okay. He, he was on stage and had an apparition where he uh, where he saw Elvis. Oh, it. was that over at the, well, it's now called the Las Vegas, isn't it? Um, yeah, that was at, I think that was at the Aladdin. Oh, okay. That happened to him, if right. I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah, because he was part owner on that at, at yeah. one time, right? Yes. Um, so, yeah, that, so he saw the apparition of Elvis Presley? Yeah, watching him uh, on stage, and and uh, it just made him very happy because he was a huge Elvis Presley fan. Yeah, I mean, who's not a huge Elvis Presley yeah. fan? Yeah. I've been yeah. an Elvis Presley fan since I was seven, six or seven years old, I think. Yeah, since well, since you first hear his voice, that's when you go, "Hey, there's something." Here. You know, you're I remember you're totally right about that because I do remember hearing his music for the first time and thinking, "Man, this is really neat." Yeah, yeah. Here's a guy who. Who could sing and, and was just captivating you know you watch all those silly movies and i feel bad for him having to make those movies but they're wonderful movies i watch them every time they come on because he's just so engrossing yeah you know, he, he he's so entertaining right man yeah and just yeah. so much charisma that guy you know <laughs> yeah he, he was the coolest of the cool when i was a kid yeah. I, I i saw that dude and i'm like yeah i want to be that guy and then I wanted yeah, to be absolutely. an astronaut and then I wanted to be something else, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, yeah, he did. He, he struck a chord and uh, it was through the music that I first uh, encountered Elvis Presley when I was, that would have been the early seventies when I first found, uh, found out about him. So he yeah. was still alive, but I never did get a chance to see him in concert because he had died. It was 77. 77, I think. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I think that's right. I was 13 years old, if I remember correctly. I was uh, I was working illegally in a in a restaurant because I wasn't 14 yet and didn't have you know you had to be 14 to work then. And uh, I wanted a stereo, so I told him I was 14. And I came in from a small town; they didn't check. And so I was working in uh, as a dishwasher in a restaurant when uh, they had the news on, you know, in the kitchen because the, the dishwasher area was right part of the kitchen in that restaurant. And they announced that Elvis Presley had died. It's amazing that, uh, and I, I remember too hearing how he had died or when he had died, and then hearing strange stories about his death and how he was found 
in the bathroom and he was eating banana fried banana sandwiches or something like you know there was a bunch of really ugly stories coming out about him after that and i was like man that's you know it's not very cool people like to put people on a pedestal and then they like to knock them down that's true (laughs) that man that's so true gosh darn it why do we do that i don't know i don't know i don't know you know it's unfortunate he did die um he did die on the toilet um he died slumped over on the toilet but it wasn't anything other than the fact that um his caretakers had him on too much medication you know he was taking up poor guy was taking uppers and downers and um it just became too much for his body and uh, that happened to be the place where he passed you know it is it was a a tragic loss to the music industry in the world and you know in general uh, but thankfully, we have a, a huge body of work that he put out before he died. We do, yes. Yeah, I still listen yeah. to his music, man. I still love his music. I do too, and in all different areas, you know, um, gospel and 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 uh, rock and a little bit of country in some places. Yeah, he could he could sing it all. True. Yeah. Uh, so, did you have a chance since we first chatted? Uh, did you have a chance to think about one or two? pretty kind of spooky, maybe a little mysterious type of stories that you could share with me? Yeah, you know, I, I get uh, I get this question a lot from the book. And, um, and depending on how it's asked, I have different stories. So um, when people ask me my favorite stories, I have a couple of those. But when people ask me for the spooky stories, um, there's two that really come to mind. And one of them is um, I called Hell House from the book and there's a place in uh in las vegas that's um that was called the scotch 80s and um it was across from umc just off of charleston and um it was an area where a lot of uh the rich people put in houses Uh, jerry lewis had a house there in fact he lived there up until uh when he died and um a lot of famous people were in that area and there was a house right behind Jerry Lewis's house that was called the Hell House. And I had heard a lot of stories about this. In fact, um, the, the Ghost Adventures, I think it was, a ghost, it was one of the ghost people, the Ghost Adventures or the other, other group that went there and, um, and heard voices and, and um, they got a recording from that house. And a lot of times when you hear those recordings, you know, they could say just about anything. But this time I heard the recording and it said, kill her about as clear as, as it could possibly be. And, um, and so the story of the house goes is this, this guy bought this house and it's, you know, just a typical stucco house. It had been renovated. It wasn't a lot of the houses in that area are from the sixties and seventies. And this one you could tell had been renovated, it had a beautiful big portacashier on it. And they had redone the inside. And um, the guy was living there for a while and um, he, he, had, he had heard voices and his dog seemed to really not like being there. Um, was really nervous all the time. And um, one day he went into his bathroom and um, he put a towel on a hook that he had never put a towel on a hook before. And the back door of the bathroom, the back wall of the bathroom slid open. Whoa, so a secret and, passage? Yeah, a secret passage. And he walked inside and he, um, he, uh, he found this room that was covered in, in white tile. 
and it had a drain in the middle of the floor. Oh, no. And it had a, 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 a porcelain sink. And that was the only thing in the room. It had no windows. It had no way in and no way out except for that sliding door that opened. Must have been um, for group showers, right? Yeah, it must have been <laughs> for group showers. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, uh, he eventually, um, when he was doing some remodeling, he pulled up part of a floor, not in that area, but another part of a floor. And he found, um, he found an old 22 buried in the floor, which was, um, despite what a lot of the, the movies show you, was really the weapon of choice for most mobsters. 22 was, was easy. It was light to carry. It didn't make a lot of noise when it was shot. Um, and, you know, any bullet at close range is going to kill you. So um, it was it was a weapon of choice. And um, he come to think through doing a little bit of research and stuff that that the house was a hit house, that um, the mob owned it. And um, if you had done something you weren't supposed to do, you got invited to that house. And um, and it was the last thing you ever saw in Las Vegas. You went into that room, two people went in the room, or maybe three people went in the room and only two came out, you know? <laughs> somebody uh, somebody was disposed of and, and the drain in the center and the tile was so that everything could wash away uh, pretty cleanly. Um, the house, he, he, um, he ended up getting, the guy who owned the house ended up getting into um, an actual physical confrontation, according to him, with the entity that lived there. Um, he was swinging his sword in the area and, and he was grabbed by the entity and actually thrown out of the house. He ended up getting rid of the house and it sat there vacant for, for quite a while. And when I was writing this story, it was sitting there vacant. And... Um, and I may have gone on the property that was closed off <laughs> to check out the house. May or and may not have. <laughs> I may or may not have. And I may or may not have gone inside. And it was a little weird because um, at the time it was pretty stripped down to the two by fours. Um, everything, everything was gone. There wasn't, there wasn't any, uh, there wasn't any uh, walls or anything. It was just two by fours and concrete floor. And, um, except on one wall had some vintage wallpaper on it, which I thought was really interesting. And, um, and as I walked in, there was a, a kid's wagon, a little red wagon, just sitting on the floor. And the handle of the wagon was pointing exactly to that, that area that I just described to you, the, the secret passageway to that room. And the room was there. I walked in there and, and sure enough, that, that room was there. Now, there was no sliding door that I could determine, but there was a room and the drain was there. All the tile and everything had been taken out. The room was stripped down again to the studs, but, um, but the, the drain was there right in the center of the room. And it wasn't, it wasn't a shower area. It wasn't a toilet area. It wasn't any area that would have any reason to be there. There were no windows. There was one way in and one way out. And um, there was that drain in the middle of the, of the room. And um, I, didn't, uh, I didn't hear any entities. Um, nobody, nobody talked to me while I was there. But, um, and I went in the middle of the day. And it was, uh, or I may have gone in the middle of the day. <laughs> put it that way. Um, and it was pretty, uh, it was pretty creepy. It was, it was a pretty creepy place. You could feel that that something had happened there that probably shouldn't have happened, you know. So were you uh, when uh, at the time 
that you were researching and writing this, was it owned by a bank or did somebody else have a title on it? Um, I think it was owned by a bank because I tried to get permission to, uh, to go see it and it had gotten some, some fame by then and they weren't just letting just anybody go see it. You know, if I was the ghost adventures people, then I could have gotten permission pretty easy. But they also didn't do a very good job of, uh, of closing the gate. <laughs> so. And so you did some uh, research on the history of the property before you uh, went to take a look at it, right? I did. I did, but I couldn't find anything that linked it to a mobster. But that didn't surprise me because, you know, mobsters didn't own anything back then. Right. There was always a front man of some type who owned it. You know, there was always a legit person. And, um, and a mobster is certainly not going to put his name on a house that they're, that they're um, if they are actually killing people in. He, no mobster is going to put their name on that house. So it didn't surprise me that I couldn't link it to, uh, to anybody that had any type of mob relations. And it, and it was in an area with, uh, where all the wealthy people lived. Like I said, it, it, there was a wall, you know, its back wall separated it from Jerry Lewis's property. It was literally on the other side of the wall of his property. So, um, and, and it was an area I've, um, I had a, a, a good friend who lived in that area. Um, he's a wealthy man. And, and um, it's just an area that you don't even realize when you drive by, but it's just filled with these, these mansions. Now, mansions for the 60s, which, you know, probably don't look like what we would call a mansion today, <laughs> but for the sixties and seventies, you know, they were, they were mansions in their time. Yeah. Um, do you know what has become of the house since you wrote the, the story about it? Yes, it has been um, bought and fixed up and sold. And there's currently somebody living in there and that person has not made any uh, complaints about uh, anything um, happening in that house. So I don't know if they, uh, I don't know if they, I didn't find anything that said they did any type of blessing or exorcism or anything like that to the house before they built it. Um, there was a, another house in town um, and it's, unfortunately its address was 666. And so it was called the 666 house. And it, um, it had a lot of reputations for different things, you know, devil worshiping and all this stuff going on there and who knows if any of that was happening um the house caught on fire several times um and never burnt down um it was a creepy house because it was it was surrounded by a wrought iron fence that had rusted it was just off of pecos actually not far from wayne newton's house and um they have eventually just torn it down it's just because anybody who's Anybody who's bought that property has never been able to build there. All things always happen when they try to build. And so they eventually just tore the house down. It's, it's completely gone now. But this house, um, they, they showed it online. And, uh, and the address is in the book. Um, so you can, you can pull it up on Zoom and look at it all fixed up. And it's a beautiful house. It was a beautiful house when it was, when it was uh, you know, when I visited it, it just gutted on the inside is all. So it had the exterior walls intact. You just, um, all the interior was being renovated, looked like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you could tell it had been sitting there like that for a while. I don't know. 
I think after this guy uh, left, I think somebody bought it and tried to uh, fix it. And I don't know if I didn't hear any stories about him being driven out of the house. I, I have a feeling it, uh, he just ran out of money. And so he did the demolition, but wasn't able to do the rest of it because the, uh, the pool was still there, but there was no water in it. And there was junk in the pool and um, all the grass had turned to weed. It was all brown. And, and so, you know, nobody was watering anything. It was pretty much an eyesore, except you could tell that the bones of the house um, were still good and the house was in, in, in really good shape. And um, if you look at it, like I said, online, this guy who remodeled it did a beautiful job. It's really quite a beautiful house on the inside now. I don't know what he did with that room. But <laughs> <laughs> if it's me, I'd have gotten rid of that room. But yeah, I don't know yeah. what he did. <laughs> Make it a safe or something. Put a, put yeah, a big absolutely. safe in there. <laughs> You know, and it was it wasn't a tiny room either. It wasn't like a, uh, you know, a five by five room. It was probably, oh, I'd say it was a good fifteen by twenty. Yeah, that's a it was, it was, good size room. It was, a, it was a good size room. It wasn't a tiny room by any means. Wow. It made, in fact, it was so big that it made me wonder when the guy said, you know, I put on this hook and I and this door opened it made me wonder well didn't you ever wonder what was there because I'm obviously on the outside of the house you can see that area you know didn't didn't you ever wonder what <laughs> or I guess he just assumed his bathroom went that far because his the bathroom didn't have any windows in it either maybe maybe he just got confused as to the location of his bathroom good point uh yeah secret passages in homes are are really intriguing um yeah did you ever go out to, oh, I'm sure you did, but uh, Bonnie Springs? Yeah. Oh, uh, what, yeah. Is that where the, the, the old mansion that you, I think used to belong to uh, Howard Hughes? No, that's Spring Mountain Ranch. That's the one I was thinking um, of, Spring Mountain Ranch. Yeah, I, actually, I actually do write about Bonnie Springs in, uh, in the book, and I do write about Spring Mountain Ranch in another book that I have called uh, Discovering Vintage Las Vegas. Oh, cool. Yeah. That one was owned by um, by several people, Lum from Abner and Lum, then uh, Vera Crump, whose husband was convicted of war crimes with Hitler. Um, she owned it for the longest time, actually made it a working ranch, and then um, and then Howard Hughes owned it, and then um, was it Fletcher Jones that owned it after that? Anyway, the, the people that owned it after that wanted to turn it into this big resort and. Uh, they wouldn't change the zoning laws, thankfully, to let him do that. So he ended up, he ended up uh, because he couldn't do anything else, but he ended up donating it to the state, which is nice. Yeah, now it's, uh, Actually, I don't know if it's a museum or, or not, but you can go in there and, and walk around. And, yeah. So I guess it is a, a museum of yeah, sorts. It, it's, it's pretty much a museum. You know, there's things behind glass cases and you can see all sorts of stuff. Vera Crump, by the way, was the, was the lady who uh, had the diamond ring that Richard Burton bought for Elizabeth Taylor the largest diamond um, at the time. And uh, it was stolen from her when she lived on that ranch. And um, because she was out, you know, in the middle of nowhere at the time, and uh, they ended up getting the diamond back. But because she was out there, she talked the um, sheriff into deputizing her. Hmm. And she was an actual sheriff's deputy. Yeah, and cool. her badge, which she had made that has her name on it, is still out there at the at Spring Mountain Ranch. Yeah, I, I've only been out there once, but from what I remember, it was just a really cool place to to go look around and explore. And there's a lot of history. 
Uh, yeah, it started uh, it started as an outpost on the Spanish Trail. In fact, the original buildings, the blacksmith shop and probably a place to stay to sleep um, are still there on on the ranch up, up above it because the Spanish Trail goes through there. Um, they do the Super Summer Theater there in the summer, probably not this year, but hopefully next. <laughs> and um, and there's a lot of hiking trails and um, it's it's owned by the state. It's open to the public. You have to pay a fee to go in, um, but it's owned by the public. It's actually where I got married. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, as we mentioned, Bonnie Springs is not too far from there or used to be not too far from yeah. there. And that's being converted into residential homes now, isn't it? Yeah. And that's going to be interesting because uh, that place has a lot of hauntings happen at it. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. In fact, um, it's right on the edge of an area that's considered pretty sacred to the Paiutes. And it makes me wonder if it's not sitting on what the Paiutes consider sacred ground. But um, I got my own personal tour from, uh, from Cowboy uh, Joe, who uh, was the manager out there when I wrote the book. And he told me about all sorts of things that have happened out there and things that were confirmed by all the employees that work out there as well. Okay. So would you mind if we talk about that place next? Cause I've been out there a lot more times cause that was, that place was free to go and walk about. You could walk around if you wanted to go in and do, I guess they had a petting zoo in there. Uh, You'd have to pay a fee to go in that part. And then there was a restaurant out there you could go eat at. I used to love going out there. I took my grandson out there a couple of times. My, My wife and I have gone out there just on photo shoots and, um, it, it was just a, uh, a wonderful place to go spend a day. And, yeah. you know, when, when I heard that they were <clears throat> opening it up to developers, I was really bummed out. Well, unfortunately what happened is Bonnie, um, it's called Bonnie Springs because Bonnie is the, is the lady who owned it. And she was a skater in her life. And her father, I believe it was her father, was a producer of movies. And she bought that area out there with the intention of turning it into um, a movie studio. That's why it looked like an old Western town. She, she was hoping that it would turn into uh, a place where Hollywood would come out and, and film movies. I think only one movie was ever filmed there. And I think he was just a, a, a farce, a Western farce, you know. So it, it never turned into uh, what she had hoped it would what it, what it would turn into. It never really became that area. Um, she started that petting zoo because people started giving her animals and she didn't know what to do with them. So she started taking them in and created a place for them to be um, and took care of them. And then um, she thought, well, this is expensive. I need to make some money off of this. So she started charging for people to um, to uh, come in and, and pet the animals and then you know do this see the place. She even had a, a little wax museum out there. And um, so there's there's three areas. Well, then she died. Um, before we get into that, she died. And then uh, her children didn't want to keep it going. So they sold it. And that's how it, that's how it became uh, into the hands of developers. And unfortunately, it's not in an area that's that's protected. So it's an area that is allowed to be developed. Um, yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. Um, 
And and it's really a tragedy because that whole area out there is just beautiful. I mean, it's yeah. it's wide open. You've got the uh, wild burrows that walk around and graze out there. Yeah. But uh, so there, you said it was butted up right to a uh, an old burial ground, Paiute burial ground. Well, I don't know if it was a burial. I know it's a secret or a secret, a sacred area to the Paiutes. You know, if you go up back there high, uh, far enough, there's uh, there's um, hieroglyphics on the rocks. I don't remember if they're hieroglyphics or petroglyphics, and I don't remember what the difference between the two is. But yeah, and there are several places around here that I've gone to and explored and photographed that have petroglyphs, and the artwork that those people used to do is just incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing that that not that and the fact that they did it and that it's still around, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. So there there's that area there that's right up behind um, up into the hills there, and it it is a sacred area, and um, you know it's also still part of the Spanish trail that went through there as well. Um, the rumor is that it was a burial ground. I, I was never able to confirm that it was or it wasn't a burial ground. But um, so Bonnie, um, her, and her last name was Levinson, by the way, her and her husband uh, bought that place and, and built the town, hoping to attract Hollywood. And unfortunately, it never happened. But um, they built they built a schoolhouse. They built a little opera house. Um, you know, they had that boardwalk area that was supposed to look like the main street of a town. And then underneath one of them, they built um, uh, a wax museum. Um, and it, it goes underground for some reason. I don't know why they dug into the ground, um, but they did because when you go into that wax museum, you actually go down into the ground uh, to the wax museum. And, and so what happens is uh, there's a little merry-go-round outside the, um, outside the, uh, the school and it would frequently turn on its own. And you know, a lot of people think, well, that's just wind, but those of us who used to play on merry-go-rounds know how heavy they are. And there's, there's no wind that's coming through there that's moving that thing. And then, because it'll move and then it'll suddenly stop. And it moves when there is no wind and it just will suddenly come to a stop. And then at times you, um, Joe told me and, and it was confirmed by the people who worked there that you can hear children's voices around that schoolhouse and on that merry-go-round. And then um, one of the things that used to, it got to the point where it first, it first uh, unsettled Joe, but it got to the point where it annoyed him is he would come into work frequently and there was a, uh, there was a friar, um, you know, a religious friar, a tuck um, that um, was in the wax museum and he's, uh, he's kneeling. And you know, those things are on a base and the bases are, are, um, are secured into the ground. You know, this isn't something that you could just come along and pick up and, and move. Um, it's bolted and secured into the ground. And he would come in in the morning because he'd try to get there before everybody else and, you know, look the place over. And the thing would be moved. And it would happen frequently. And then he'd have to go get the workers when they came in and move it back and bolt it back in place. Um, it didn't happen every day, but it happened frequently. And um, and Joe was often the first person there and, and the last person to leave. So he knew that it wasn't his employees coming in to play a prank. Plus, you know, after a while, the prank, the prank would get old. 
Um, yeah, what's the point yeah. in playing a prank if you never get to see yeah. the person's expression? And <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the first couple of times it happened, his expression was a little bewilderment. Yeah. And, um, you know, after a while, you would think if they were playing a prank that they'd stop because it clearly wasn't working. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, but they would have to go and help him move it back. And then, um, and then the opera house was probably the, the biggest place. And the opera house is right on the edge of the, of the town. So it's right up against the, uh, the mountains there. And um, they would often feel a presence in the opera house. And um, in fact, um, the Ghost Adventures people did a recording there. And on their recording, you can see a shadow moving. And um, all of their people are accounted for in the recording, and, and you can clearly see the shadow moving. And, and Joe would say that happened a lot. Things would get moved while he was in there, or things would fall while he was in there. Now, the ghosts that are in this place never did any harm to anybody. They never, they never touched people or, or really you know, went to scare them. The things falling over in the opera house were probably the, the scariest of all all the things that happened, but um, it was never meant towards anybody and things weren't knocked over near anybody, you know, so it wasn't, uh, it's not like they were trying to harm people. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of activity out there and a lot of, a lot of it was confirmed by the people who had worked there quite a while. So I'm interested to see what happens to the houses as they get built out there to see if uh, they're gonna still experience some of this stuff. That will be interesting, and I'm I'm sure that they're going to put some some pretty opulent houses in that area because it's a just a beautiful location. I can't see them putting a a bunch of track homes in that area. No, it's gonna. You're right. It's gonna be nice houses because because it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. You know, it's a. Um, if you could live there, it's where you'd want to live. It's, it's, it's one of the really it's one beautiful. of the few parts of this area that you can actually experience the changing of the seasons. Yes, where you see the 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 gold, orange, red colors of fall. In fact, that's yeah. that's the be most beautiful time to go out there is right now. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, I went out there. My wife and I went hiking um, this weekend and uh, took pictures of of some of the mountains out there. And, the, and as the sun hit them, you know, the pastel colors were shining through the, the purples and blues and oranges and yellows. It's just a gorgeous area. I put it on my Facebook page and, and put anybody who thinks the desert isn't beautiful just isn't looking hard enough. Oh, I agreed. Uh, totally, man. I mean, you could, you could walk out your front door and look 360 degrees in this in this valley and see something that just mind-blowingly beautiful in my mind my opinion i, no, love, I, I love the desert i think it's beautiful i i uh i grew up in uh in a, in a beautiful area itself uh wyoming and um i grew up in uh, laramie which is 7200 feet so we we're up in the mountains and and i was surrounded by beauty but when we moved here it was the first time i understood the lyric in the song purple mountains majesty because I had never seen mountains turn purple like they do here when the sun hits them. Yes. Yeah. True. I've never noticed that before until you mentioned it, but I've taken pictures of sunrises and sunsets and it does go through a, a, a phase where it turns a, a, a hue of purple. Yeah, man. I mean, 
there are so many places that are, are worth exploring that you don't even need to come out here and go down to the strip to have a good time in Las Vegas. No. Um, in fact, when people come to visit me, I only take them to the strip if they really want to go. <laughs> it's actually one of the reasons I wrote the Discovering Vintage Las Vegas book, because I wanted to show a side of Las Vegas that most people didn't see. You know. Good for you, man. Uh, yeah, because uh, I think a lot of that stuff gets overlooked. Yeah, it does. I'm a I'm an avid mountain biker, and people are surprised. First of all, when people think of mountain bikes, they only think of a mountain, even though they're called mountain bikes. You ride them on on dirt trails as well that don't have anything to do with mountains, and people are surprised that there's uh, there is close to uh, 200 miles of trails out here. Probably that, if not more, in hiking trails places to, yeah. to go on, on long hikes. Absolutely. Um, and there's also a, a, a good number of really amazing museums that we have in this town. Yes, people, uh, people tend to overlook some of the really good museums that we have, um, nationally recognized museums, as a matter of fact, too. Yeah. Such as the National Atomic Testing Museum? Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. I did a uh, podcast episode with their director of education recently. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I love that place. Oh, me too. I love that man. museum. Yeah. It's a great place museum. Amazing. People, it's in the middle of a place that you wouldn't expect a museum to be. Yeah. Um, but man, it is worth, it is worth the price of admission. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And which is not even that much. I mean, it's, no. it's minimal no. to go in there and yeah. spend hours. Yeah. I, I literally spent three hours one afternoon in there but uh and, and talking about the museums is isn't uh one of the museums in our area known to have some haunted structures in it um there there's actually you know speaking of the atomic testing museum some people have said that's haunted i was never able to verify any of that well that's um, news to me so is that in your book no, it's not in the book because I only put things in there that I could have people tell me stories of. You know, the the book, the book wasn't meant to um, to to convince people that it did or didn't exist. It was just meant to give them the history of things that I had been told, and relay that, and then to give them the history of the area and let people make decisions for themselves. I didn't put anything in there that I couldn't confirm with multiple sources and I couldn't confirm anything there. Oh, okay. Um, the one that you're talking about is, um, is the museum run by uh, Mark Patton Hall, who most people know as the beard of knowledge from Pawn Stars. <laughs> that, that's uh, interesting. I've never met him, but I have been out to that Heritage Museum. I love that place, man. It's not it, what you would really think of as a museum because it's like walking into a small town. It really is. And they've, you know, they've set it up that way. And it's, it's probably the best museum, um, at least in the state for the price. Oh yeah. Uh, I think it, it costs you like two bucks to get in something like that. Yeah. It's and, unbelievable cheap uh, yeah. to go in there. And, but the, and, okay. I'll, I'll let you explain it. I'll let you describe it. I, I get excited because I love that place and it's about, yeah, I, it's about I two miles too. away from my house. Oh yeah. 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 I do too. And it, um, you know, all those, so, so what it is, um, as you know, it's, it's, um, the main part of it is a street that houses, um, uh, important to the area are in. So these are all houses, real houses that have come from other places 
and they've been donated to the museum and moved to uh, Heritage Street in the, in the museum and then decorated for the time period that um, the house represents. So um, you can go in every house. Um, a lot of it is uh, blocked off by plexiglass. You can't go into a lot of the rooms, you, but you, know, you can see into the rooms. And of course they're set up with mannequins and, and different things like that. Um, and, uh, but you, you can see every room, you just can't enter all of the rooms, but you can walk around outside the house, you can walk on the porch, um, all the different houses. And they're, and they're pretty cool because they represent a very eclectic style of architecture, all of them. There's one that looks uh, uh, Bavarian. And, um, and then there's also one from um, one of the ones that they built, that the government built when, uh, to house people in for uh, when they were building the dam in Boulder City. And um, all of the houses are named after the people that, um, that uh, donated the house. So you have like the Beckley house, which is one of the ones that's supposed to be haunted. And um, I'm trying to think of some of the other names. Beckley is the one that sits in my mind because it's the one that is supposed to be haunted. Um, and it's again, it's one of those places where um, it's not a haunting that um, hurts anybody. Um, basically, what, what happens is it's kind of a lazy ghost that's that's supposed to be in there, and what he or she does is sit on the bed, and so they'll make the bed. You know, they go in there every every day, make sure everything's where it's supposed to be before they open up, and they'll have that bed made, and then there'll be an imprint of uh, of a rear end <laughs> in the bed where somebody clearly has sat on the bed after they just made it, and. And it happens quite frequently um, that it uh, that it does that. So um, there isn't really a, there isn't any type of a spooky thing you know that happens out there. That's why I don't include it in a lot of the the spooky stuff. But the Beckley house is um, supposed to be um, the one that's haunted the most. And um, and then there's a little small one that I'm trying to think of the name of it. Oh, the Giles, the Giles house. Um, is a really small house. It's a, well, it's it's really nothing more than a, than a rectangle box with a with a bedroom in it, and um, it's set up for its time period. And um, things in that place um, are are said to frequently move as well. They come in one day and they're one place, and you come in another day and it's in another place. And that area is blocked off by plexiglass, so you can't get to it. You walk into that house and and pretty much the entire thing is plexiglass because it's really just a, a large room. And so things get moved in there all the time and there's, and it's not the visitors because the visitors can't access that area. Well, when you said that it's not a spooky type of haunting and um, mm -hmm. you know, we started out talking about spooky, uh, it, it, it fits into our conversation because we've been talking about museums and points of interest of, of, the Las Vegas area for people to come visit. That's definitely yeah. a place I would encourage anybody coming to this town to go check out. Yes. It also ties in nicely with the, the overall theme for my podcast, which is the cold war. Because okay. as, yes. Yeah. As you said, the, the houses that are there span multiple decades. Um, and, and each one is set up in a different time period. Yeah. And there's one, I'm not sure which one it is, but they have it set up like a, a room set up like a, uh, 
a fallout bunker and it was from the 50s that's really my area of interest is the the cold war and then you know. yeah they they have that one that uh that is was used um to build the hoover dam mm -hmm. but they have it set up for the um for as if it was a military family living there because what a lot of people don't realize is you know the dam was built in the early 30s and then boulder city because it was still federal land and a federal town um, had a military occupation there for quite a while during during the during the war during world war ii mm -hmm. the the dam being built was one of the catalysts for propelling las vegas into what it is today well it actually saved it saved las vegas because um las vegas was kind of dying out because um it had got into a fight with the union pacific railroad and las vegas was its uh was its repair area um what would have been a shipyard for boats you know it was a it was a repair area for trains and um they had a labor dispute and um the union pacific got mad and they left they pulled out of town completely and the town would have died had the dam not come to be because what happened was when the when they started building that dam the union pacific came back because they weren't about to not be the railroad that was supplying materials to the dam. And so they came back to Las Vegas. And then because of a lot of the restrictions that was put on Boulder City being a federal town, as far as you couldn't drink, you couldn't gamble, you couldn't do a lot of the things that, um, that you could do in Las Vegas at the time, people would leave Boulder City and go to Las Vegas for their entertainment. Yeah, and there was a, even a period where gambling was outlawed in Vegas for a short period, I think four or five years, wasn't it? Um, yeah, they did. And then they realized they, they did that in prostitution, trying to court the, uh, trying to court the military. Um, and then they realized that wasn't gonna work. And so they got gambling right back in, but they uh, kept the prostitution out. Yeah, um, Las Vegas is a, it has an interesting history. It's, you know, relatively short history, but a, a lot of violence, a lot of intrigue, a lot of mystery. And, yes. You know, as your book well illustrates, a lot of ghost stories. Yes, very much so. In fact, um, I've fallen in love with this town since I've been here, which is why I set my, uh, I have a, two fiction series and I set both my fiction series in Las Vegas um, in the 1950s. Oh, cool. Oh, I'm going to have to check yeah. those out, man. Are they finished? Um, yes, I have, uh, I have two in my first series. Um, it's called Maximum. The character, uh, the main character, his name is uh, Massimo Rossi, but he goes by Max. And um, he's the son of a, of a mob fixer from Boston. And he comes to Las Vegas to kind of escape his, his family because um, he tried the mob life, but it didn't really work for him. So he came to Las Vegas to kind of escape his roots. But because his father is so famous um, and the town at that time, Las Vegas was an open town, which means that no mob family had rights to it. Everybody could operate in it. Um, everybody's worried now that he's gonna bring Boston mob to the town. And so he, uh, he they start watching him and um, he uh, defends a, a lady's honor. And the person who he gets into a fight with ends up dead and um, he's charged or he's thought to be the one that killed him. 
and the on, his only alibi is the uh, the dead man's girlfriend, whose honor he defended. And so he spends uh, he spends the book looking for her, while everybody he's either and the 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 guy who got killed is a mobster, and he's from Chicago. So Chicago's trying to get him, and New York's trying to get him, and the police are trying to get him, and <laughs> he's trying to get out of all of that. And so he spends his time in that in that book trying to hunt down uh, his alibi. And that's uh, Maximum Rossi. And then the second book in that series is Rossi's Gamble. And um, there was a group of people in Las Vegas, there were a group of cheaters called the Highwaymen. And they were real. I actually um, got to interview a guy who was in the Highwaymen. Hmm. And he told me about stuff that they did and how they operated. And so I put the Highwaymen in the second book. And then um, the other series, which will be launching at the end of the year, is a, a paranormal mystery. Um, it's still, I write kind of in that uh, old pulp fiction style, like Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett type of books. And this one is written in that style, but it's very much a, a paranormal mystery. And um, it's uh, the main character's name is PM Knight, like, like evening, N-I-G-H-T. And so, um, I mean, excuse me, his name is PM Mayer, M-E-Y-E-R. And because his initials are PM, people call him Nightmare. Mm. So the name cool. of the book is Nightmare. Cool. Yeah. Where are those books available if anybody wants to get, get a hold of them? Oh, okay. I know uh, I, the the last one you mentioned is not coming out until the end of the year, but where are coming out to the end of the year. But you can buy um, you can buy the books on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, and they're available at any bookstore, but you know, I'm not Stephen King, so <laughs> You're not going to find too many of them there. If you ask for them, though, they can order them, or you can just order them online. Um, okay. And your your pen name is is it the is it Paul Papa or is it Paul W Papa? It's Paul W Papa. Okay. So we got a little bit off the subject of ghost yeah, hunting. That's okay. No, no problem. I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about your work, and uh, you know, so if any listeners were interested in following um, following your work, they can. Uh, maybe reach out to you. So are, you're on Facebook. Uh, on Facebook. Are you on Twitter yeah. as well? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Everything's under Paul W. Papa. So I have a website that's Paul W. Papa. I'm Facebook under Paul W. Papa. Twitter as well. A Facebook group called The Adventures of Max Rossi, where I give insights to, to Rossi's world, which is basically Las Vegas in the 1950s. Awesome. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's nice to work the history into the into the fiction as well, you know. All right. Well, is there anything else that um, you you wanted to mention before we close this out? No, I don't think so. I think we've we've covered just about everything. All right, Paul. Well, I really appreciate you spending time with me and sharing some of those very interesting ghost stories. Um, you creep me out a little bit, but you mostly. <laughs> You mostly got me interested, and uh, that's what I—that's what I really like. I really enjoy uh, talking to you. Hopefully, you could come back on in the future. And I'd love to. If you do, I look forward to talking to you. Thanks again for for coming on. You bet. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been a joy talking to you, my man. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for contacting me. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>